My name is uh, Ross. I'm one of the pastors here at Bethel, and uh, I'm glad you're here. I'll add my welcome. If you're visiting with us, hope you'll let us know you're here. We'd love to reach out and say thanks for coming, and uh, we've got a gift for you at the welcome desk back there. If you haven't picked it up already, we'd love to, uh, we've got a bag of coffee for you, and um, I don't know, bag of money. I don't, I don't know what they've got back there. Uh, it's been a while for me, but uh, you should check it out anyway. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, go. So, so we're in 1 Corinthians, and so that's where we're going to be this morning. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. As you're turning there, um, we prayed for the Domain family last week, and um, uh, Dream a Domain, who has been part of this congregation um, for years, over 20 years, longer than I've been here, uh, her and David, Dreama passed away a week ago, two, well, two weeks ago tomorrow. And um, we are going to celebrate her life uh, tomorrow night uh, at 6.30 here in the sanctuary. And so if you want to come be a part of that memorial service, I uh, would love for you to be here 6.30 tomorrow night um, uh, here, right here in the sanctuary. All right, so we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, let me set you up and tell you what we're going to be, what we're looking at today. So, Paul, he's been writing to this church. And uh, this church in Corinth is about five years old. Uh, Paul planted the church and was there for 18 months and then went on with his missionary journeys. And and Paul is... in Ephesus at the time, and he and he's, gets a, a letter from the Corinthians. He also hears some reports about their church. And so he sits down to write this letter, and he begins the letter by, by reminding them who they are in Christ. They're believers. They're saints in the Lord. Um, God has sanctified them, which means he's made them holy in his sight. That's what happens when we become believers. But he's got to deal with the problems because this church has several problems. Part of it is uh, what, what happens when a church lives in the midst of a community that is uh, very worldly and very fleshly and, and uh, pursuing all the things of the world. And the church was finding itself in a very, it was very hard for the church to, to pull away, to break away from the way everybody else was living in Corinth. And it was showing up inside the church. And so the, the church on the inside was looking like the world on, on the outside. And Paul says, this, this, this is crazy. We, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't do that. We, we're, we're a whole different kind of people as believers. God has saved you. Um, you, you. You are not anything special in and of yourself, but that's okay because God is. And he, he chose you. He wants you to be part of this deal. He's, he's doing something magnificent and beautiful and for your glory and, and, and eternity uh, is at stake and in his mind. And, and he's, he's brought you into this thing called the church. He, you're a part of what God's doing. And so that's kind of where we are. And, and he, and he, um, He's going to pick up, I've got to read a couple of verses at the end of chapter 2 to kind of, it's a runway into chapter 3. And I, actually, I don't have them on the screen, but just listen to it and I'll talk about them real quick. He, he says it this way at the very end of chapter 2. He, um, he, he's making a, a distinction. There are people who are spiritual 
Um, and what makes you a spiritual person is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And if you're a believer, you have the presence of the Holy Spirit. He says, but the natural person, in verse, chapter 2, verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him. It's foolishness. And, and he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Now, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, the important thing for us going into chapter 3 is that Paul's going to make a distinction between two people. He's going to talk about the natural person. And so when it, when it uh, comes to the words that um, he talks about, they're imparted by the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, in other words, he's speaking about the Bible. So when it comes to the spiritual truths of God's word, the natural person, he says, doesn't accept those, those truths. It's foolishness to him. And not only that, really, they're not able to understand them because God's word, his, his word, these words that the church is built around, the foundation of Jesus Christ and all that God's word says about him and has looked forward to him, as I heard this morning, looked forward to him, tells of his coming and his death and resurrection and burial. All of the things that it tells us about Christ and all of the things it tells us about what it means to be in Christ they, they, they cannot be understood because that's spiritually discerned. He says the spiritual truths of God's word, the, the truth that brings life, uh, saving truth, it, it's, it's more than just historical truth, okay? It's more than just saying, look, Jesus was a real person and he died on a cross and he was buried in a borrowed grave and his followers, uh, you know, claimed that he came back from the dead after three days. Well, that's, that's history. But for that biblical claim to be accepted, that's what the word means, that, that, that it's welcomed into your life as, as wisdom as opposed to foolishness. For it to be understood, meaning grasped, so that you comprehend the divine significance. Paul says that requires the work of God's Spirit in your life. I'll give you a quick illustration. Um, it's the difference between uh, looking at something under common light and looking at something with, with ultraviolet light, ultraviolet rays. So you take a pile of stones put them in a dark room, turn, over the, turn on the overhead lights, and you see the stones. And, and you can record all kinds of things about the stones um, under common light. You know, and they you know, have a grayish color, or, uh, a darker color, and uh, you, know, you tell how round they are, how heavy they are. I mean, there are things that you can discern under the common light. But you shine, you, you turn off that light, and then you shine ultraviolet rays on them. You, know, you, you get on Amazon, and for $10, you buy a UV flashlight. You, then you shine that on the body. You'd be amazed at all the colors and all the shades, but much more than you can see under just the natural light, under just the common light. The light itself, the UV light, it doesn't add any new qualities to the stone, but it causes certain qualities of the stones, these inner qualities, to, to fluoresce. That's the word. The, the ultraviolet light... Uh, 
It's the unseen part of the, of the spectrum that we're able to, to discern uh, all alone with our eyes. And, and so, the author is saying here, Paul's saying that both the, the position, the action of the Holy Spirit, it illuminates the pages of Scripture for us. The Holy Spirit, He illuminates the Bible so we, so we see it in all of its depth, in all of its richness, in all of its truth. The natural person, he says, the unbeliever, the person without Christ and doesn't have the Spirit of God, can't see the truth of God's Word for what it is. It's not saving truth to him. All right. So he says there's a spiritual person. So there's a natural person, and then he says there's a spiritual person. This is the believer. Only through eyes of faith given by the Holy Spirit can a person ever begin to comprehend the hidden wisdom of God's revealed words. So unbeliever might understand, you know, how the grammar works and what the words mean and, uh, you know, from a dictionary and all that. But, but to embrace God's word, to embrace God's truth, to, to love it, to believe it, to live it, that requires a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying. So then he begins in verse 3. Look at what he does. He says, there's a natural person, and there's a spiritual person. And he's been talking all about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the life of the believers. But then he says, brothers, chapter 3, verse 1, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. So verse 2, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you're not ready, for you're still of the flesh. For while there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So stop right there for a second. Let me make sure we're, we're tracking. There's the, the natural person. That's the unbeliever. There's the spiritual person. That's the believer. And Paul says, remember when I came to you? I came to you. And, um, and your brothers, it, it reminding them, I'm, I'm talking to you, you're Christians, you're believers. I have, you know, Paul says, I, I believe you're, you're in Christ. I, I've already said that beginning in chapter 1. But I couldn't address you as spiritual people because you were new in the faith. Now, he's going to make a distinction. He says there was... You know, you were like a, a, a baby. You were like a newborn into the faith. And so, um, what I did was I, I, I took the spiritual truths and I, and I gave them to you in a milk form. I gave them to you in the most simple form. Like, like you would give, you know, formula in a bottle to a baby. And that's a normal thing. The problem is, now five years later... You're still drinking out of a bottle. I couldn't address you as spiritual people, and I can't address you now. And that means something's wrong with you. While you're believers, which, which means you have the Spirit of God, you don't look like it. Your life looks like the world. Your behavior's out of sync. It's like you're infants in Christ instead of people who are growing in Christ. You know what I mean? Babies that nurse, babies that drink from bottles, that's normal. Babies that do baby things, that's normal. But 
normal. But teenagers and adults that do baby things, that's not normal. It's ridiculous. You're supposed to grow. You're supposed to mature. And so Paul says, look, in the beginning when this deal started, you heard the gospel, you were new believers, and and I fed you with milk. And, And it's important to know, listen, the difference between milk and solid food is not that the content is different. It, it, it's the same content. It just has to do with the depth of it and the scope of it. Calvin, John Calvin, he makes this great statement here. He says, Christ is milk for babes and strong meat for men. Every doctrine which can be taught to theologians is taught to children. It's, it's not the content. It's, are you growing in your understanding of it? Can we go deeper in it? Can we know more of who God is? Can we, can, we, can we get down into the depths more with one another? That's how we grow. That's how we mature. But you're still in the flesh, he says, even now. You're behaving like someone who's not welcoming the truth of God's word into their life. It's like you don't understand and you don't comprehend and you can't grasp this divine work of Jesus in your life. And so he, he points to the evidence of it. You, you may have heard the term, you know, carnal Christian. It, listen, it's a believer who's, who's not growing like believers should grow. There's something wrong with you. He says, look, here's the evidence. There's jealousy and strife and in very shorthand, that, that means there's sin. It's described elsewhere in the New Testament along with selfish ambition and Anger and quarreling and gossip and bitterness. It's, it's sin. And so you're going to flesh all this out in the next couple of verses. He said, look, this is toddler behavior. It's infantile behavior. I remember one Christmas several years ago, my oldest two kids were, were really young, okay? And um, as parents on Christmas morning, I mean, you know, you, you spend a lot of time, you get just the right gift that doesn't cost too much, but that they think is extravagant. You know that whole deal. And then, um, you, you know, you wrap it up, you put it under the tree, and then they, you know, they open the gift. And, and you're, as a parent, you know, it's part of the joy. You're excited. You can't, you know, you can't wait for them to get the gift and be surprised and, um, you know, grateful and, you know, say things like, oh, Father, you're so, you know, you know, all the accolades you would get from them and things like that. I mean, you're really looking forward to it. But I remember this one Christmas, you know, Jay got this thing, Maggie got this thing, and they're really young. And, and before the whole time around the tree is over, these two knuckleheads were fighting over the boxes that they came in. Who was going to get to keep the boxes? I'm like, you people. So, you know, had the Christmas morning spanking. Anybody have those tradition in your house? Instead of mature behavior. And, and that mature behavior, you see, it's characterized. It comes with humility and concern for others. Obedience to God. The Corinthians, they were infantile. They were self-centered. And they were being divisive. And there was sin in their life. Sin they weren't 
confessing, that they were nursing the sin instead of growing in their Christian life through the work of God's Spirit and the ministry of God's Word, they were, you know, they were grieving the Spirit. And, and, and the Bible talks about quenching the Spirit and resisting the Spirit. When you grieve the Spirit of God, Ephesians 4 says... It's when you allow bitterness and anger and malice, you know, those things to reign in your life. You resist the kindness and tenderness and and forgiveness that comes with a disposition of what it means to be in Christ. It's the Spirit of God working Himself out in your life. You're resisting those things. It grieves the Spirit when we hold on to that and we nurse it. Or, or quenching the Spirit. First Thessalonians 5 talks about that. It's when we ignore the promptings and the nudgings of the Holy Spirit. We, we don't act upon the things that the Spirit moves us toward. You know, the person to speak to or an opportunity to serve or to give or or to write a note, or, or to turn off the TV, or put your phone down, you know, to read God's Word, or pray, or, or connect with your spouse, or your child. And we resist that. My son texted this morning, in fact, just a little while ago, and he was getting ready for church, I guess, and he said, almost wore sweatpants to church, but then I thought of mother's hand grabbing a kitchen knife and killing me, so I changed It's maturity, right? That sometimes the Holy Spirit and your mom, they sound, they have the same voice. They sound a lot alike. There's a resisting the Spirit of God. We do that in our lives. Acts chapter 7, you're confronted with God's truth or conviction. You, your eyes have been opened. The, the UV color is there, but you resist. You choose to ignore. Act as though you haven't seen or heard or you know, I know I need to do this right now, but I don't want to. And so, what Paul's concerned is he wants them to grow. He wants them to grow into the spiritual people that they are and are supposed to be. So, we, we talk about it in many ways in the church. We've even heard um, the different terms this morning as Chad was, was talking to us and as, as Ryan was leading us in communion. So, we talk about it as spiritual maturity or spiritual growth or sanctification or discipleship, or spiritual formation. It's our growth in Christ. When what we have believed in our heart, you know, because the Spirit of God opened our eyes and, and our ears, and we believed, and, and we it's like, that's true, and it's, and it's good, and it's right, and it's beautiful, and we've believed it. And then that becomes there's this demonstrable consequence in our daily life, the truth begins to have an effect. It begins to work itself out. It, 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 it's drawn to the surface in our daily life. Paul wants that. But instead of that, instead of maturity and humility and concern for others, they were living as people who were totally of the flesh, to- totally like the world around them. And the thing is, as you, as you 
follow this line of argument back from chapter 1 and through chapter 2 and now here in chapter 3. It's a people who were looking for significance in the wrong place. Look at verse 4. He says, for for when one says, this is his example, jealousy, strife, all these things are going on, this fleshy behavior, this human way of, of living. He says, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? So they were looking for it in prominence or this perceived prominence, this significance of men. And, and Paul illustrates here with Paul and Apollos. They were, they were aligning themselves with a, with a leader. And he's coming, he's already talked about this in chapter 1. In context, the flow of the argument, Paul's saying, look, this is stunting your growth. This is not what spiritual people do. This is a human way to behave. In Paul's theology, the way of the flesh, your old man, the the part of you that's so easily blinded by sin. When we're tribal, when we allow things to divide us, when you know, a lot of things that have divided us over the last three years in particular. I mean, I have never seen the, more, the church more divided and divisive. Not just here, but I mean, all over. And Paul's argument, how he's going to instruct this little church, it is this breathtaking argument, really. I mean, remember what's going on. Church has problems, there's infighting, division, party faction, jealousy, strife. They were boasting about themselves. Why were they doing that? Well, one way to say it. They felt need, a pressure to, to be important, to be significant. The culture around them was all about that. Be impressive, be successful, and, and wisdom intellect, sophistication, that that was the social currency of the day. And Paul says, hey, all of that, it's nothing. It's foolishness. It's silliness. And then he reminds them, look, real power, real wisdom, real significance beyond what you can possibly comprehend, that is found in Jesus. And the world can't see it. You already have it, but you're fighting over the boxes in fact, here's the deal, he says. You're, here's the thing about you. You're, you're foolish people. You're weak. You're low and despised. That's how the world looks at you. Culture sizes you up, and what they see is poverty because the currency that the world is judging significance by, that currency, he says, look, that currency is temporary. It's fleeting. It's, it's doomed. It's going away. But God has saved you. He's called you. He's given you his son. So let's say it this way. You're aiming at significance and importance. You're, you're still trying to matter according to the world's standards, and you're missing everything that God has for you in the process. You're a heavenly people. And because of that, your significance, your glory, he talks about in chapter 2, it's not found in this world. This is so important. So I, here is the problem. He, at the end of the day, a, a Christian who persistently lives in their sin and does not grow and does not mature, I think down deep, you have no idea who you are and who you were, what you are called to by God. And this is what Paul's getting at. 
See, the marks of a heavenly people, and by the way, if you're a believer, that's what you are. You're a heavenly people. And it's not anything that can be discerned by the world around you. The world around, the world around us cannot measure who we are in Christ. And the mark of a heavenly people, it's, it's faith. It's what Hebrews 11 says. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old, they received their commendation, significance, approval. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God, and then these are the two marks of faith. You believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That's the two marks. The, the invisible God, you, you believe him, you, you see him. You have a real relationship with him through his son, Jesus, with the God nobody else sees or knows. And then everything we do is in reference to the future reward, which nobody else seems to care about. You see the invisible God. You have a relationship with him. You're looking for future reward. And that's Paul's point here in 1 Corinthians. The, the church in Corinth, the church in Tyler, the church here at 171211, whatever our address is, Highway 69 South. This is not the product of brilliant human achievement. It's the product of divine activity. God is at work. Paul's saying, don't you see what's happening? God's at work. And so this is, this is his point. And now listen to how he argues for that. Verse 5, he says, after he says, well, this is what's the problem. You, you, it's showing up. You're saying, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. And then he says in verse 5, what then is Apollos? Not who. But what? What then is Paul? He's using himself and Apollos. They're placeholders. What are these leaders? Let's step back. What are these leaders that you are identifying yourself for prominence and significance that you're dividing over and saying, I'm more important than so-and-so because I follow so-and-so? What are these people? Well, they're leaders. And then he says, servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Paul had a ministry. Apollos had a ministry. But they were servants. The word means waiter. They were busboys. They're the teachers and the pastors and the, and the leaders. Look at verse 6. Paul, I planted. Apollos watered. But God gave the growth. I, I planted. I, I started the church. I came in with the gospel. I was here 18 months. After I left, Paul, Apollos came, and then he, he began his, his teaching ministry, his, his preaching ministry. He was the second pastor of this church, and now they have another pastor at this point. But that's all I did. I planted the seed, but Apollos watered the seed. God gave the growth. God, this is something God's doing. Verse 7, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. 
but only God who gives the growth. I mean, essentially, you see what he's saying? So, so we're waiters, we're busboys, we're the servants of the king. Also, now he says that you're a field. And as this field, we, here's the deal. I'm not the gardener. Apollos isn't the gardener. God's the gardener. Here's what we are. We're tools. We're garden tools. Paul and Apollos in and of themselves are not important. I mean, their work was important, but they're just tools, servants. Only what God is doing. That's what matters. Verse 8. Now, these men have been at work serving God. What's been their motivation? What, what, has, what, what has, you know, been their aim? Look at verse 8. He says, he who plants and he who waters, they're one. They're on the same team. This is the same ministry. God's the gardener. He's working the field. This is what God's doing. He who plants, he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. The wages that will come, he's going to tell us. At the judgment of Christ in the future for our reward. So Paul wants to know, the church, listen, you're focused on the wrong thing. You, you've been focused on, on Paul or Apollos or Cephas. You, you're focused on, you, you, you're living like the world lives. You're looking for significance. You're looking for prominence. You're looking to matter by who or what you're identifying yourself with. Paul wants the church to know, listen, God's working in you. He's growing them. He's doing something according to his great and eternal wisdom, something glorious and magnificent, something he said in chapter 2, verse 9, that no eye has seen or ear has heard or heart has imagined. What's he preparing for those who love him? And that God, he's preparing a reward, an eternal reward. But the church was so distracted. They wanted their king now. They wanted their glory now. They wanted their significance now. He's going to say that in chapter 4, verse 8. So jealousy and bitterness and pettiness, this is what was happening. They were acting more like a daycare than the church of God. And Paul, he's trying to strip away the things that they're clinging to for importance and significance. He's trying to cast a vision for them about who they are in Christ, their worth, their importance. That's why he keeps saying, you are. Look, verse 9, for we, we're, we're fellow workers in, in Christ. Uh, we're, we're God's fellow workers. We're, we're just the, the, the help here. You, is the church, you're God's field, God's building. He's going to go on and Verse 16, you are God's temple. Verse 23, you are Christ's. Verse 22, all these things belong to you. Don't you know who you are? See, the danger is still very real for us today. We lose sight of God. You know, we aren't walking in faith. The, the, there's a danger for us. See, there's a danger we'll look to politics for significance or, or a lifestyle or, or, or comfort or esteem. And each of us individually are in danger. And as a church, we're in danger. Even inside the church, this happens. We, we look to men or women 
We look to leaders or teachers or, you know, this sort of celebrity culture in the church, and we exalt men into false position. And if these people or these groups, you know, that, we, that we've exalted up, if they're not working towards their reward in the future, where will they look for their reward? Well, they'll look for it right now. Where are the Corinthians focusing everything? They're now. These are now people, not a then people. Paul wants them to be a then people. Now people, right now people, they're jealous and contentious and selfish and self-centered. And so this is a warning. In the first place, it's a warning to leaders. It's a warning to Christian leaders. He's putting them in their place. Look, your work is significant. Your work is very important. But don't be confused with... Don't confuse that with with thinking you are important. Pastors, teachers, elders. You're not rulers, you're workers, servants, waiters for the king, tools in the shed. You're shovels and water hoses and rakes and weed eaters. He warns them of this. Reward is not in this world. It's a reward for eternity, for forever. And he's going to go on to say, this is to be true of every single one of us. Is our eye on this world, on the now? Or are our eyes on the world to come, eternity to come? Just imagine how transforming it would be for for a church, for a group of people. People who have their eyes of faith fixed upon God on what he's doing and how he's growing us and preparing us as people, you know, for glory and eternity. Instead, you know, of being a people who are so caught up and distracted by what they have and can get right now or don't have. See, we want to be a people who are, who are fastened to Christ, and, and we want to see the next generation be fastened for Christ. It, it changes how we view what we're doing when we gather and who we are. Well, in verse 10, he's going to switch the metaphor real quick, and he goes from a field to an image of a building and then ultimately a temple. Verse 10, he says, the foundation is Jesus Christ. And there's only one foundation. Verse 11. And then verse 12, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, or by contrast, wood, hay, or stubble, however you're building on the foundation. And the idea is that as a believer in Christ... You're part of the church and the ministry that God's growing and the ministry that God's building. And so how are you participating in that? With gold, silver, and precious stones or wood, hay, and stubble? That's not the work of one man. Chapter 1, the grace of God was given to all of us. Spirit of God supplied to each one of us with spiritual gifts. In fact, chapter 12 through 14 of this letter, he's going to unpack all of that. We're one body. We work together. 
and all the diversity of our gifts. Chad was just talking about that this morning. Working together in harmony to build up the body. And how are we building? And what are we building with this matters? And then look at verse 13 through 15. He says, each one's work will become manifest for the day. This is the judgment day, the, the end, when all believers will stand before Jesus. And this isn't the judgment about whether you're saved or not. If you're there on this day, you are saved. You are a believer. This is the judgment of the church. It's the judgment of believers. This for each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And if the work that anyone's built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a, a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. It's like the, call it the smoking butt verse, all right? So, there'll be people in heaven for a few moments that'll smell like smoke. Everything will have been burned up. So much to say about this. I don't have the time to say all of it. But it's Jesus on the throne judging believers. Well, what did you do with the gifts that God has given you? That the Holy Spirit's working in you. That he's designed for you. Did you build up the church? Not a judgment for salvation, but whether or not you, you know, whether or not you're saved. It's not that. It's, it, it's a judgment that determines the basis for eternal reward. Because you find out, is it? It's not just a building God's building. It's the temple of God. His spirit dwells in us. Well, if anybody destroys the temple, God's, God's going to judge them. He's, he's going to destroy them. This is not a, verse 17 is not a verse about suicide. I've heard it used that way. It's not. It's in context Paul's not even talking about. He's talking about the church. God values the ministry of the church so highly. What he's called you to. That he threatens terrible things against anybody that would soil his holy sanctuary here on earth. Well, to the end of the chapter is really a summary of all the things that he said up to this point. You know, don't think you're, you know, if you're trying to be wise in the world, know that that's foolishness from God's perspective. Because here's the thing, God's given you all things. Whether it's a leader, whether it's the world, God's, God's given us all the things that we interact with every day. This is for our good and our maturity. He's, he's given us a life and even death and suffering or the things that are present or things that for all of this is yours. All of this is, is, is given to you as you grow in him. Let me ask you a couple questions as we close. Borrowing these questions from Chuck Swindoll, by the way. 
So they're, that means they're really good, all right? Just listen to them, though, will you? Be honest. So, so you know, thinking about, are we building up the church or tearing it down? You know, do I see myself in the context of called into the fellowship of his son and knit together with brothers and sisters in Christ? And do I understand what it means that we're the church of God and that he's working through us. So are we dialed into that? This is something eternal. Are we, are we embracing that? So here's the question. Am I building up fellow believers right here in this church? Am I building up fellow believers with quality bricks of humility and contentment and patience and perseverance and love and integrity? Meaning, am I, am I maturing? Am I, am I a mature believer? Am I building up the church? Or am I contributing poor quality? Am I bringing to this place pride and ambition and impatience and weakness and bitterness and disharmony? Am I... Am I in the grip of some long-term sin in my life that I have done nothing but rationalize away? Is that where you are? I mean, there are places for all of us that I think we're mature in Christ. I think places in all of us that we, there's immaturity. But is there, is there sin? Is there... Resistance to the Holy Spirit, a quenching, a grieving of the, of the Spirit? Is that you this morning? Paul says, you don't understand who you are then. You don't understand this great thing you've been called to. Another question. Am I neglecting ministry opportunities that could be building up the church here? What are they? How can I get involved? Let me tell you, there is totally an answer to that question. If you're sitting here and you think, you know what? I'm not. I'm not part of building up the church. I want to, I, I want to be. I'm hearing God's word. I feel like, yes, the Spirit wants me to do that. I, I want to grow in the way that God's designed here as part of this church. I, I want to do that. Yes, you can. We can help find you a spot immediately let us know email Chad email me and I'll forward it to Chad have I failed he says have I failed to see the local church my church with the same love and priority that God sees it as his temple what are the things in my life that I have consistently been placing ahead of God's church? And hear me, it's in about, you know, your attendance needs to be up and your giving needs to be up. And I'm just, that's not, this, this isn't about that. This is, man, are you growing in Christ? Because God's doing something with you. He's at work. He wants you for your good and your glory. To know him more and more. 
And we can't do that without each other. Where's my heart, soul, mind, and strength going? Where's all my energy in my life going? Am I aiming that in the direction that the Lord's calling me? Or am I, and am I spending that everywhere else? And I've got nothing left. Not for the church, not for my family, not for my marriage. Where am I focusing my greatest affection, my greatest attention? Where are you focusing that? And this is an extremely, very practical passage for us. Where are we? Do we understand who we are in Christ? I want to see you draw closer. I, I want to see you grow. I want you to throw the boxes in the trash and play and enjoy the gifts that you've been given. There's a joy and a satisfaction and a peace and that awaits you that some of you can't even imagine can be real. I wish I had an hour more to teach this to you. An hour more to show you the depths and the beauty of all that Paul's saying here. So would you go home? Would you read it? Would you ask God's Spirit to open this up to you today? And then come back next week. You have homework. Come read chapter 4. And come back next week. Because I don't want you to miss that either. Pray with me. Father, pray that you'd by your spirit, your spirit, that he would have his way in our hearts and minds right now as believers. We wouldn't, wouldn't sit here grieving the spirit as we cling to sin, that we just confess it. We just bow our head right now and confess sin, believing that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to walk away from that today. Stop playing around. Father, we wouldn't quench your spirit. We'd, we would respond to the to your spirit's impulses as he leads us and nudges us and prompts us. And we'd say yes to that. We'd step into those things. We'd look for it. We'd turn off the TV and put down the phone and open your word and spend time in prayer. Connect with our spouses and children in meaningful ways and with friends. Father, we wouldn't resist what you are doing in our life. We would say yes to you. So, Father, we want you to do that. We don't want to be infants. We don't want to, we don't want to be part of a daycare and all the silliness that goes with it. Father, we want, we want to walk as spiritual people. So, so move in us. For some, that's conviction. For some, that's compassion and comfort. And Father, we want to know you more. We ask all this the only way we can. In the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of your Spirit.